here for today, though, we want to track back in where we've been here over the last couple weeks. And this is in a thought we've been calling Identity, Who Am I? And so this will take us up into uh, November, but just trying to understand who we are in Christ, right? And so I'm going to ask you, who are you? All right, so last week we said we were forgiven, all right? And based on that, we've learned that our, our faith in what God has done through Jesus is growing in Him, okay? So due to forgiveness, when I live in that forgiveness, it's not about me, it's about Him, right? So I trust what He's done, I don't trust in what I've done. I've made a mess of things, He's the solution. And we talked about how when that happens, when you're forgiven and you rest in that, that you can joyfully give thanks, just like Paul wrote to the Colossian people. And that we can endure with strength and with patience, whatever it is that comes our way. And so all that is a result of our identity. Right? Now, the first week we said everybody on the planet has been made in the image of God. They've been crowned with glory and honor by God. And that he watches over and cares for all. Okay? And so there's not anyone here that's neglected. Anybody that God's like, I can't stand you. I can't wait till you die so I can deal with you. Uh, he has this desire for all people. And so we've been crowned with glory and honor. So I see your pretty crowns this morning, looking lovely as ever. Uh, and what we're trying to remind ourselves of is not only, not only does our identity speak to who we are personally, but when you know who you are, you then understand how you're supposed to go live, right? And when you don't understand who you are, then we live in all sorts of ways. For example, when I don't know that I am a boy, a man that's been made in the image of God, then I could spend my life trying to maybe experiment with being a woman. And that's reality for a lot of people today because they don't know who they are, right? Now, you may find this odd, and I always told the Lord I'd be transparent. You're like, uh-oh, what's coming? When I was a little kid, I thought boys grew up to be girls, and girls grew up to be boys, and I don't know why I thought that, but that thought was in my head. And so I can understand why somebody could struggle with an identity if nobody was there to correct that. You think you're a girl? Okay, well, I guess be who you want to be, right? We'll accept everybody. And so it's important that we understand identity. And just the more that I talk about this, the more conversations you and I have, you're probably going to hear me saying this a whole lot more. I say it all the time. So our Wednesday Life group, I talked about our identity. We go home and talk about conversations like today and we, I talk about identity. We were sitting in our morning Bible study here and I was talking about our identity, like who we are in Christ. And so this is huge. I don't know that it gets any bigger. So really understanding who we are, not only does it give us reassurance and confidence there, but then it puts feet to how we're supposed to live. All right? Identity. Okay, for today then, let's go... We're going to be in 1 John chapter 4, and we like to talk always before we get rolling. Um, but here today, I want to introduce um, another thing that God says over us, and, and that's the key here, right? We want to be defined by what God says over us, not by what other people say should define us, right? So there are people in this country who would say terrorists are bad people, and we should hate them, All right? Now, terrorists are people who are wrapped up in doing evil deeds, and I can hate their deeds, but the same blood that we've sung about today, living, he loved me, dying, he saved me, is the same song that they could sing. Right? And so it's how do I display love to a person like that or to a, a child predator, a sex trafficker, 
Right? It's the same love, same identity for these people. They're just not living in it. And so I've got to understand it's for me and it's for them as well. And that affects how I do life. That affects everything. Uh, so anyway, let's talk here for just a few minutes. Have you ever had a moment that took you by surprise and you acted in a way that later you thought was inappropriate? You had a moment that caught you off guard. I wasn't expecting this. And the way you reacted to that moment later on, you were kind of regretting like, oh, I shouldn't have said that or I shouldn't have done that or why did I, I knew better than that. Why did I get baited in or sucked into that? All right, so a few of you are that way. All right, I'm sure we could share many stories, but if you're not sure, then let me give you some scenarios here and see if maybe one of these fits you. Uh, you know, when a car pulls out in front of you or me, when, I'll just use me. When a car pulls out in front of me or cuts me off, that tends to cause me to forget who I am. You? All right? So maybe you can identify with that. What about when you are in the grocery store and you've got a cart full of groceries and there's one checker who's one lane open and, there's, and you're coming from opposite directions and somebody's hustling to get in front of you? Right? Never happened to you? What do you think of that person? That's right. I mean, I think sometimes that could cause us to lose who we are just for a minute. Or maybe it's a parking spot. I had this happen to me, I think it was yesterday. You know how it is. You see the person pulling out in front, and I'm in this lane and they're in this lane, and so we're both speeding up to get there as quick as we can to get the parking spot, right? And they usually beat me to it, and so I'm, Lord, just bless this person. I hope they have a wonderful day, and I'm sure they needed this so much more than I did. I could use the exercise. I'll park way out here, right? Sometimes it tends to cause me to forget who I am when that happens. Or it could be somebody, I see it too, people hustle into a restaurant, especially on a Sunday. You know, there's 50 cars pulling in at one time and you've got people jumping out while the car's still moving. Go put our name in! Because you're just like, I don't want to wait behind all these people. And so sometimes that can cause me to lose who I am. Maybe not you. What about if somebody's rude to you for no reason? I mean, somebody's just blatantly rude to you. You've done nothing to them. You haven't even said hello to them. And before you know it, they're just all over you. For me, that can tend to cause me to forget who I am. <laughs> this sounds like you might be a redneck if, doesn't it? This whole, I mean, we're not rednecks, I'm not saying, but you might have lost yourself if. I should have titled it that way. <laughs> I'm laughing at myself here. What about when somebody's cruel to a family member? Anybody ever been rude to your child? Mean to your child, didn't include your child, excluded your child, said something to your child that's not true? Yeah? Did it cause you to lose yourself for a minute? Did you forget who you were? Did I forget who I am? Yeah, I think sometimes that can happen. It could be a spouse, could even be a friend. Somebody goes to criticize us. It just seems to happen so quickly, doesn't it? Like I can be literally praying in my car. I drive a lot praying. You guys know that. Talking out loud. And I'm just loving the Lord, enjoying the Lord, thanking the Lord. And somebody runs a red light. And the next thing out of my mouth is, you idiot. Yeah. Right? I mean, it's... So you guys understand how it's, it's easy to lose our identity. It happened yesterday. We were coming back from Benton. And somebody p 
pulled out and right in front of me, and I started to say something, and I didn't say it because I knew I was preaching this message today, so it's like I didn't want to catch this when I got home later, although they know me all too well. But it's, it's, so, it's so stinking frustrating that it can happen that quick. And we can stand here today and we can talk about how we've been forgiven by God and we're crowned with glory and honor and this God watches over us and He cares for us and today we're going to talk about how He loves us and just in an instant, it's gone. It's like I, I'm not living in my identity. I've forgotten who I was just for a moment and it could have had really dramatic or devastating effects on somebody else. So what we like to do is make an excuse and justify it, right? Right? Well, if they wouldn't have done this, then I wouldn't have done that. And because they pulled out in front of me or because they were rude to me, then that gives me reason to then be rude in return. And somewhere along the way, we've got to start owning our behavior regardless of what other people do. I was working with some students this week, and one boy was like, he keeps pushing my chair with his feet. I said, well, what are you doing to him? Well, I'm poking him in his arm. I was like, okay, then own what you're doing. Okay, you're as much to blame in this as he is. And so it, we need to own things as Christians sometimes rather than excusing it or saying, I understand that, justifying it. No, I'm, I'm living outside of my identity and it's creating, it's creating problems. There's a guy by the name of Jason Gray. Have you heard of Jason Gray? He's written all kinds of songs, but he's written a song that's called Remind Me Who I Am. And in that song it says, When I've lost my way and I've forgot my name, remind me who I am. So God's not expecting us to be perfect at our identity yet, but that should be my response. You know, so when I'm driving down the road and that happens, or that person's rude to me, or that individual is critical of my children, Lord, I feel I'm about to lose my way. Remind me who I am. Right? Remind me that I don't need their approval. Remind me that this person, they may be in a hurry. Right? Maybe they didn't even see me at all. I mean, I don't own the road. You know, they don't have to yield to me. Or maybe they should have and they didn't. I don't have to just claim justice over that person. I need to be reminded of who I am. You know, that's why a coach, when a coach goes into a hostile environment, have you ever been in one of those? You got two teams that are just, you know, maybe in-town rivals, can't stand one another, and so they're button heads. And so our coach would call us in and just he'd remind us who we are. My coach in high school would say, the name on the front of your jersey is more important than the name on the back of your jersey. And so you remember who you are. So in D-Town, we've got police all over the place. We've got gangs coming, showing up for games. I mean, it was a madhouse. And our coach would pull us in. All right, we play for EHS. Don't you worry about any of this other stuff going on. You represent EHS. Like, that's right. All right, so we need to be reminded of stuff like that when it gets hostile. That's why a parent says to their child before they walk out the door, remember your last name. Right? Because you go out and play the part of the fool, that not only reflects on you, but it reflects on our family, reflects on everything connected with you. So school, church, neighborhood, community, you name it. It's important that we remember who we, who we are. So today we're going to look at our identity from 1 John chapter 4. And this is going to deal with us being loved by God. So I asked you that question earlier this morning. Did you know that you're loved by God? We've sung about His love towards us. And our response was we love Him in return. Maybe that's true, maybe it isn't. But I pray that we'll know today at least when we walk out of here that we're loved by God and what that calls us to as our identity. So John is the author here. 
the apostle, and he's writing to encourage some people here just to remind them that they are loved by God and that should have some influence over them. Right? There should be some showing of that, not only uh, with believers, but also with those who have yet to believe. And so 1 John chapter 4, we're going to read verse 7 to uh, the end of that chapter, all right? So if you've got a Bible, you can follow along. If not, it'll be um, on the wall here today. And so let's read. It says, Dear friends, let us love one another, for love comes from God. Everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. Whoever does not love does not know God because God is love. And so this is how God showed his love among us. He sent his one and only son into the world that we might live through him. And this is love. Not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. So dear friends, since God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one's ever seen God, but if we love one another, then God lives in us, and his love is made complete in us. And this is how we know that we live in him and he in us, for he's given us of his spirit. And we've seen and we testify that the Father has sent his Son to be the Savior of the world. So if anyone acknowledges that Jesus is the Son of God, God lives in them and they in God. And so we know and we rely on the love God has for us. God is love. And whoever lives in love lives in God and God in them. And this is how love is made complete among us so that we'll have confidence on the day of judgment. In this world, we are like Jesus. See, there's no fear in love, but perfect love drives out fear because fear has to do with punishment. And so the one who fears is not made perfect in love. And so we love because he first loved us. Whoever claims to love God yet hates a brother or sister is a liar. For whoever does not love their brother and sister whom they've seen cannot love God whom they've not seen. And he has given us this command. Anyone who loves God must also love their brother and sister. And so a few things that we'll note as we progress through this today of what God's love is like. And the important word here initially is this word K-N-O-W. What's that spell? No. All right? And so we need to know what God's love is. And so when we know what God's love is, then we're able to live out in these different ways here this morning. So let's start here. To know God's love, to know his love initially is to know that he is love. So if I know that God, if I experience his love, then I know what we just read. I know that my God and that the true God is a God of love. It's essentially who he is. And so it's one of his attributes. So a bunch of attributes we could list about God. And we could talk about his holiness. And we could talk about all the omnis. Uh, we could talk about his grace or his mercy. Uh, we could talk about his justice or we could talk about his love. Now, one of the great things about God is he's so unlike us. Isn't that a great thing? That gives us some hope that, uh, beyond ourselves, right? And so one of the ways God is unlike us is that he is every attribute full on always. So there's never a time where God turns off the grace and just pours out the wrath. And there's never a time where God is just simply holy, but not merciful. And there's never a time where God's omnipotent, but he's not omnipresent. Okay? His character and his attributes are always full on. He's perfect. So in every way, we're going to see here that his love is just the same way. It is perfect. Anybody have a perfect love? Anybody willing to admit along with me that I have a fickle love? 
All right. Anybody, did you used to love the St. Louis Rams? All right, some of you in this area did, right? Because they were, uh, what was it? The, something about the show, something about the big show, whatever. The greatest show on earth. The greatest show on turf, that's right. The greatest show on turf, all right? So you talked about the Rams, didn't you? Oh, yeah, you meet with people. Where are you from? I'm from St. Louis area. Oh, you're a Rams fan. Yeah, that's right, I'm a Rams fan, all right? Never seen a game in my life, and I love the Rams. Now, the Rams have moved away. Do you still love the Rams? No. I mean, there's hatred for the Rams. They had like a apparel burning party when the Rams left town. Bring your sweatshirts and all your pennants and all your hats and all your stuff, and we're going to pile it up, and we're going to burn it because we hate the Rams. We're just fickle people, aren't we? I love you. I hate you. We can turn it on and turn it off in an instant. Or maybe it's I love a person until I experience something from that person that I don't like anymore. And now I hate that person. See, this is one of the ways, and we're talking about how God's always everything all the time and how that's good for us. This is one of the ways that it's not good in us, the way that we are. Because we have a way of being able to lessen our love towards people, right? So think about it. Is there anybody in your world right now, maybe you wouldn't say that you hate them, but you have less love for You don't love them as much today as you did in your past. We used to be close, something happened, and now I just don't really care to be around them. I don't want bad things to happen to them, or maybe I do, but I certainly don't love them like I once did. All right? We have the ability to lessen love. God doesn't. He's full on love always. Okay? So we look at God and say, I hate you, and God says in return, I love you. Right? We can spit in God's face and people did it when Jesus was there getting ready to be on the cross and Jesus cries out in love and says, forgive him. Right? And so his, his love is never diminished, never minimized, never lessened when we act in ways that are less than lovable. And so to know that he's love is to know that this love is full on always. He always loves And it's simply amazing. So let's go back and read it here in verse 7 and 8. It says, Dear friends, let us love one another, for love comes from God. And this makes sense when you get to verse 8. Whoever does not love does not know God, because God is what? So if God is love, it makes sense that love comes from God. Right? Simple point. So God inspired John to write these words a long time ago so that people like you and I living today would know, number one, that there's a God and that this God is a God of love. Now, who does God love? Everybody. All right? And that's important to be mindful of today, and we'll get to that here in just a few minutes. But I hope you know, and I hope you understand that God has an intense love towards you. And we use the word love for everything, don't we? We've talked about this before, and you've heard this long before I was ever born. Uh, Some of you. Love, right? And so, somebody tell me something you love. Cardinals. I love the Cardinals, and I love chocolate. Ma'am? Your kids. Mexican food. Sports. What do you love? Ice cream. And maybe God. You know, I'm just saying, I know we're churchy people in a churchy building, but we might want to say we love God too. You love your spouse, okay? So let's talk about this. I love the Cardinals, 
and ice cream and sports and and I love God. Which way would that scale tilt? Which one of those should be more intense, heavier? All right, so we know the correct answer. Which way does the scale tilt? Uh, The cardinals aren't in, so we'll tilt God's way. All right? Or I didn't get my favorite ice cream, and so I'll tilt God's way. No, it should always tilt God's way. And so the Bible has at least three different words that are used for the word, the English word love. Okay? So we use love for everything. I love God and I love cheeseburgers. Two different kinds of love, but it's the only word that we have. In the Bible, you've got a, a Greek word, eros, which is a romantic kind of love between a husband and wife. And that kind of romantic love leads to lust. It can lead to lust. You've got another love in the Bible called phileo love, which is that brotherly love. You think of the city of Philadelphia, right? The city of brotherly love. Okay, and so this is the love kind of between friends. And so you're a friend of mine, I'm a friend of yours, and I love you as a friend. But then you've got this love that's known as agape love, right? And agape love is intense. It's intentional. It's entirely unconditional. It has nothing to do with us and it has everything to do with somebody else. And so here in the text, 15 verses we read and the primary word in all those verses is the word love. And when you look that up, you'll see every one of those words, according to Strong's concordance, is either a G25 or a G26, which means it's agape love or it is a form of agape love. And so it would be like an active tense, right? Uh, like a verb tense, like what we might call a verb here. So uh, this agape love is very present in this passage. And so that's very important to understand how God loves me, but it's also important to understand how that kind of love is going to be shown and uh, held out towards other people. And so how did God show this agape love towards us? You remember? Verse 9. Here's how he did it, right? This is how God showed his love among us. He sent His one and only Son into the world that we might live through Him. And so this is what agape love looks like. And if we back this up, so here we've got the God giving. And if you go to, you know, you know verse John 3, 16? For God so loved the world. Life, right? We kind of know how it ends. Eternal life. Believe and don't perish and get life. Okay. First John 3, 16 would be good to memorize as well. They flow hand in hand. This is how we know what love is. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us. Okay? So in 1 John 4, you've got the Father sending. And in 1 John 3, you've got the Son giving. And so this is what agape love looks like. It's God giving. Okay? It's the Son laying down. It's totally and entirely unconditional, which means it cannot be earned. It's undeserved. Uh, It's never anything that can be repaid. It simply desires what's best for somebody else, regardless of what I get in return. Okay? Desiring what's best for somebody else, regardless of what you or I get in return, and really expecting nothing in return. And so if I get hate in return, agape love will still be what? It'll still be agape love. So I come to you and say, I, I'd love to help you. And they say, I, just get away from me. I can't stand you. I say, but I love you and I'll be glad to help you if you'll let me. Now in our identity, remember when the surprise comes, the unexpected, we want to just shoot right back. I'm here to help you. Go away. 
Well, help yourself then. Go rot somewhere. See if I care. Oh, I probably shouldn't have said that. Right? Somewhere we quickly get outside. I quickly get outside of my identity if I'm not mindful. And so here we're talking about this agape love. God's not only going to show us that he loves us this way, he's going to call us to love the same way. And so it never ceases. It's an intense, intentional, always desiring what's best for you regardless of what I get in return kind of love. So I'll love you. You hate me. That's okay. I don't need you to love me. I'm free to love you because I've been loved the way God has loved me. Now some people would call this love crazy. They would say this love is reckless, right? Fool me once, shame on who? You. Fool me twice, shame on me. And sometimes we live like that's the Bible, right? Like It's got to be in here somewhere. You remember that book? I think it's called Second Opinions, right? It's in there. Fool me once, shame on you. Fool me twice, shame on me. You know, Jesus said forgive how many times? Right? Seventy times seven, which really means I'm not keeping track. You just should never get a point where you've maxed out on your forgiveness. Never ends. Because my forgiveness towards you never ends. It's ongoing forever. Every sin you've ever committed, every thought you've ever had that's unholy, every word you've ever said that was ungodly, it's all taken care of. And so here it is. To know that God is love will help us know how you and I are to look at ourselves and our identity. So it's a reckless love, it's a crazy love, but it's also the love that we are to understand. There's a song written, and man, everybody's singing it right now, uh, Good, Good Father. I don't know if you've heard that song or not. But the chorus of this song says, you're a good father, it's who you are. And then it says, I'm loved by you, it's who I am. Okay, it's who I am. And so when you think of yourself, don't think tall and bald. You know, whatever you would think about yourself, start thinking things that God says over you. And here, what today God's saying is that I love you. It has nothing to do with you, I just love you. And you say, well, God, I'm unlovable. Okay, but I love you. And God, I've been disrespectful to you. Yeah, okay. And I love you. And God, I'm just not living for you the way that I should be. I know, but I love you. I mean, there's, there's never a moment where, remember, his love's going to diminish or settle or be less than towards us. At least not here. And this is why Paul wrote, and we're not going to take time to read it this morning, but in Ephesians 3, verses 14 through 19, what he said was, I pray for you, Ephesians. I pray that you'll know the love of Christ. Right? How high... How deep, how wide, how long is this love? I pray that you'll come to a, the fullest knowledge of this love that surpasses knowledge. It's just know that God loves you. So man, I want you to know that when you walk out today. His agape love is extended towards you, unconditional, intense, intentional, always working in your favor, on your behalf, because he loves you and he loves all. It reminds me of a story, an example of my father. And then we'll progress here. And by the way, point one's significantly longer than the next two, so don't panic. And I've shared with you the story about the fear that ended up in the Kmart parking lot. I don't know if you remember that story or not. Fifteen years old, a good friend of mine, Denny, was 16, got his license. Denny got a Fiero, I think it was a six-speed turbo. You know what a Pontiac Fiero is? It's hell on wheels. I mean, it's a two-door death trap. And 
So we were going to get pizza one Sunday night after church. Had the youth group at our house. Monocles is less than a mile away. So Denny and I get in this car, and I don't know what made us think we could get all these pizzas in a Fiero, but we were going. Motors in the back of this car. I mean, literally, the car is not as wide as how far apart these pews are. Maybe that wide. And so we take off down Airport Road, and that's the only road you've got to get on to get there. And about the end of Airport Road, there's a stoplight, there's a major intersection, and there's train tracks. Well, as soon as you go across those tracks, that road just drops. There's a dip. And then you've got four lanes this way, four lanes this way, and now you've got four lanes this way. Right? And then you've got restaurant, 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 big shopping center. And Kmart was one of those shops in the plaza there, massive parking lot. And so Denny was like, hey, Corey, you want to see how fast this car can go? So I was like, sure, yeah, let's see. And so, I mean, he drops the hammer. And I was terrified. I remember just holding on to this car. And uh, I don't remember the number. I just remember the speedometer was going. You know, maybe 100 or 120 was the last number I saw. And I was just terrified. He's just flying through gears. Well, the light's green. And he says, are these train tracks bad? Well, we were going so fast before I could answer him, we were already over them. So we fly the whole intersection. We land the car. As soon as the car hits, all four tires pop off. The steering column breaks, and we start spinning. And so there's this big, massive median that separates traffic, probably this wide. We go over that median into oncoming traffic, go across that traffic, uh, hit the edge of a telephone pole, light pole, spin out about halfway up to Kmart parking lot. And so you sit there for a minute just trying to figure out what happened. You know, like what, what just happened here? And so there was a Hardy's there. There was a policeman, off-duty policeman who was there who saw the whole thing happen, comes over and, I mean, immediately he was there. And so, you boys okay? And we're just like, yeah, I guess so. I don't, we don't know what happened. He said, well, well, I saw what happened. So he explained it. So he told us to call our parents. So I called home and my dad answers the phone. My mom answers the phone. My dad comes to get me. I said, Mom, we had a flat tire and we're in Kmart parking lot. <laughs> and I really, I wasn't trying to underestimate things. I was just in shock. Like, I still didn't really know what happened. So I'm sitting in the back of this police car looking at Denny, and Denny's white as a ghost, and he calls his dad, so our dads show up. And so my dad comes to the car, and he talks to the police officer. The police officer says, I saw the whole thing. I was sitting here. I saw the car come through the intersection, land. I saw everything. And so as a dad, what would you say to your son? Yeah. So my dad, when he finishes with the cop, cop says, yeah, you can take your son. And so my dad opens the door, and I get out. And my dad looks at me and he says, son, are you okay? I never forgot that. He gave me a big old hug. My dad was never a dad to say I love you. He was a never hugger. You wouldn't know that now. He'll hug anybody. And he'll talk to anybody. He'll say I love you to anybody. But he didn't say that to us growing up. And man, he wrapped his arms around me and squeezed me tight and said, son, are you Okay. I don't even remember if I answered. You know what he could have said to me? You're in big trouble. I mean, how foolish. What were you guys thinking? I mean, not just you, 
You've crossed all this traffic. You came through a major intersection. You're in the middle of a... You could have killed all sorts of people here. You're just dumb. What were you thinking? And he could have went on a rant of every piece of discipline I was going to get over the next year of my life. You know what my father did, though? He just lived in his identity. What I needed more than anything in that moment to know was that my father loved me. It didn't matter what I'd done. I was just a passenger. It wouldn't have mattered if I'd been driving the car. What I needed to hear in that moment was that my dad loved me. I'll never forget that. I think at that point, I tallied that up. It was somewhere around 5,500 days that I'd been on the planet. And I remember significant moments with my family, but that's one of them. That was one of those of the 5,500 days that really sticks out to me when my father lived in his identity. You've got a father that loves you. And it may seem reckless, and it may seem just like amazing, and the truth of the matter, it is. But I hope you know today that you've got a Father in heaven who really loves you. All right, let's go second here this morning. To know God's love means I'm going to rely on it. So to know it, it means initially that I know that He is love and it has nothing to do with me. It's His character, it's His nature, and that's just who He is. And He'll say it over and over again as much as I need to have Him say it so I can hear it and get it. I love you. I love you. I've made you. I've crowned you with glory and honor. I've died for you. I've given my Son for you. I'll forgive you. Just He wants us to know over and over that we've been loved. But here, secondly, now if I know the love of God, then I've got to do something about it. I've got to rely on it. And specifically here, what the text says is when we rely on the love of God, it's going to bring a confidence like we've never known. Right? Rather than fear, in its place is going to be this thing like confidence. So people fear all, all sorts of things. Like some people are afraid of bugs. Anybody afraid of bugs? Spiders? Or maybe animals, snakes, or dogs, or some people are afraid of storms. Some people are afraid of failure, right? So it could be whatever your fear is. Everybody has something that tends to cause them to fear. I don't know that there would be a more fearful thing than to come before God not relying on His love. It could be I've heard and I know that there's a loving God, I'm just not relying on that love. Because what that means is I'm accountable then for how I've acted, how I've lived against a holy God. And so here's what the author of Hebrews says. He wrote and said, it's a dreadful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. It's a dreadful thing to fall into the hands of a living God. I think it would be a dreadful thing to know that there is a God who is love and yet not rely on His love, not live in His love, not have experienced that love. And by the way, this isn't a Bible fact to know. It's true, absolutely. This is a love to experience. You know, you experience love, husband and wife, with your children. It's experienced like it's real. There's substance to it. It's not just I know I'm married. I'm experiencing marriage. It's the same way with my father. It's not just that I know that he loves me, but I live in that love. It's exactly what John was writing about here this morning. And here he says, to not experience that love means you fall into the hands of the living God. See, where there's no reliance on what God has done for us, then there's going to be a fear of what God is going to do to us. Right? When I don't rely on what God has done for me, I'm going to fear what God is going to do to me. And the Bible says also in Hebrews, everybody's going to die and face judgment. And so when I come before the Lord, I want to come there with confidence in what 
John writes here and tells us is that you can. You don't have to come to God afraid. You don't have to worry about when you step from this life through the doorway of death to the next, that all of a sudden you're going to be condemned. He's written so that we can have confidence. And so let's look at this here this morning. It says, and so we know, and not only do we know, we've got to start there, but we also rely on what we know. And what we're relying on is that God has love for us. God is love. And whoever lives in love lives in God and God in them. This is how love is made complete among us so that we'll have confidence on the day of judgment. Right? So when I'm laying there and I'm about to take my last breath and if I start to panic or fret or stew or worry, you know what I need you to remind me of? 1 John 4, Corey. Remember, God loves you. Remember, He lives in you. And so this love that's in you, it's going to cast out fear. Let's read it. There's no fear in love, but perfect love drives out fear because fear has to do with punishment. And so if I'm afraid of going through the doorway of death and standing before God fearing punishment, then perfect love has not cast out the fear that I have of facing that judgment. Perfect love gets rid of the fear. And in its place, it puts confidence. It doesn't mean I've earned His love. It just means I'm welcomed in. My Father loves me. He's forgiven me, as we talked about last week. And He's wanting to cast away my fear. He wants to cast away your fear as well. So I want you to think about that for a minute. Are you afraid of coming before God? My cousin Stacy died of cancer in mid-40s here maybe seven or eight years ago. And one of the last things she said to her pastor was, Has, have I been good enough? Up until her diagnosis, she loved God and she went to church, just wasn't very active. And when she was diagnosed with cancer, it was like she had been invigorated with the Holy Spirit. I mean, she lived life to the fullest, loving God. I mean, just full, never, you know, why is this happening to me? Just loving God. And she came to her deathbed there and, Pastor, have I done enough? And he just reminded her, he did enough. Everything he did is enough for you. You've trusted in him. You've got to rely on what he has done for you. All right? So it's not about have I done enough. It's about has he done enough. So it's one thing to know that God loves me. It's something else to rely on that love. And here John says, if you'll rely on it, I'm going to get rid of your fear and I'm going to give you some confidence confidence on that day of judgment. So rely on what Jesus has done in our place rather than trying to earn or making ourselves feel like we're accepted. All right, and then third here, to know God's love is then going to be to show his love. You say, well, I thought we were talking about me. My identity, yeah, it is. My identity is to be an extension of God here. And so part of that is to be a display or demonstration of the love that I've experienced. Right? And so here in this text alone, we're commanded seven times to love others. Which love is that? Is that eros? Is that phileo? Or is that agape? You remember? It's agape. It means I'm to love you with an unconditional, intense, intentional, always desiring what's best for you, never expecting anything in return, kind of love. That's my identity. That's who I am. You know, initially we said I was lost and I'm found. I was part of dark, but now I'm part of light. 
All right, so now I'm part of this person who was unloved or I didn't know the love. Now I've been loved by God. And so then the result is I'm to love as God. And I'm to live out this agape love towards other people. Let's go back to the text here. Verse 7 and 8. Dear friends, let us love one another for love comes from God. Everyone who, is, everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. Whoever does not love does not know God because God is love, right? And so you see a real connection here. It's not, hey, if you get a chance to be kind to somebody, or hey, if you can spare a few bucks and throw it to somebody who may be in need, or hey, if you've got a little bit of time, why don't you just serve somebody who's really struggling? It's, no, this is your and my identity. This is who we are as loved of God, beloved of God. And to not live out that love, the text would go on later, and we read it this morning, said, would make us out to be a liar. Because how can we not love those all around us that we can see and proclaim with a clear conscience that we love a God who we cannot see? Love those we can see, rather, than loving a God that we cannot see. So it's important to remember that our identity doesn't just define us. It defines what we do. Paul wrote to the Corinthians and said this very thing, for Christ's love compels us. That's what drives him, because we're convinced that one died for all, and therefore all died. And he died for all, that those who live should no longer live for who? All right, so I don't live for me anymore. That identity is gone. Corey is dead. I've been bought with a price, right? The scripture says I'm not my own. And so I am in him now. So I no longer live for me, but I live for him who died for them and was raised again. See, it's the love of Christ in us that compels us to agape other people. Now, God knows we're not perfect at it, right? God knows unexpected moments pop up and we go, you idiot, and he's like, that's not how we react to people. And that's just in a kind of a light way. You know, you talk in heavy ways about somebody bringing harm to our country or somebody intending harm to our children somebody walking in this room and taking harm, we would be probably battling our true identity. And what I'm asking God to help me do is learn how to react based on who I am and who I am in you and not just on that sin nature because that old, that old fool likes to pop up every now and again. Those who know God, they know that He is love. Those who know God, are going to rely on His love. And then those who know God as well, they're going to show His love. Very simply, that's who we are. So yeah, I'm made by God, crowned with glory and honor. And I'm forgiven. And I'm loved by God. This is who you are. All right? And so I want to encourage you to start just shedding some of these titles, things that define you by the world's standards, that put us in a box, specific denominations, specific political group. All right, specific race, specific social class, specific income level, and start looking at ourselves the way God defines us. And start looking at other people the way that God defines them. He's crowned others with glory and honor whether we like it or not. Right? He's provided forgiveness for them whether we will forgive them or not. And He loves them whether we'll ever love them or not. So it's important that we who know not only know, but that we rely and that we show this love as well.